Hi, I'm James Gagliardi, along with Natalie Wires and Jason Nyes. Between us, we have over 40 years of experience working in e-commerce technology. But this isn't about us. This is Commerce Connect, a podcast about people who are creating some of the best e-commerce experiences of our times. Listen on to hear from e-commerce visionaries as they look back on where they started, lessons they've learned that have gotten them where they are today, and what they believe is the future of online shopping. Commerce used to be a fairly straightforward transaction. Early on, if you wanted something, you might barter for it. Then came the concept of money. Hand over your cash and walk away with the goods. Now it seems customers have and are demanding endless options. And if you operate in the world of e-commerce, you better be nimble or you will lose customers. I'm here today with Digital Rivers Vice President of Payments, Fraud, and Financial Services, Eric Christensen. Eric and his team work to ensure merchants have the right tools to optimize their billing process for the best outcome for their business and their customers. Hi, Eric. Hey, Natalie. Thanks for having me today. So let's start, you know, e-commerce is so much more sophisticated now than putting up a website and making sure that you capture someone's credit card for billing. When you start thinking about selling cross-border, that becomes even more complex. What are some of the major things merchants who want to sell globally should be thinking about? Yeah, I think it's interesting, right? Once you put your products up online, you, by definition, are selling globally, right? So you don't really have a choice but to not think about what the global experience looks like. Um, You want to make sure that you're offering the right currencies, the right payment methods, and making sure you're complying with all the local laws. We've gone through for the last six months or so a whole bunch of work around PSD2 and new requirements that are coming in in Europe around how you transact online. That has to be considered in everybody's e-commerce experience as they're, as they're shopping. Customers, they like to buy using payment methods that they're used to shopping with. And so making sure you have those right payment methods when you are offering your products for sale is important to make sure you're capturing every customer that wants to buy something that you're selling. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I just had a recent experience where I was buying this pair of shoes and it was from a French company. And the the buying experience was actually pretty good. It was, you know, translated in my local language. Uh, U.S. dollars is how they displayed the currency. But then as soon as I hit the buy button, all of the communications were in French. So all of the shipping notifications and everything was in French. And I had to I had to use Google Translate a lot to understand, you know, what they were trying to communicate to me. Yeah, pretty fancy buying shoes from a from a French retailer. I just go to Kohl's to buy mine personally. But um, yeah, I mean that that experience, right, is something that every e-commerce merchant needs to think about. Like you, as a savvy e-commerce shopper, probably figured it out. Most people probably just changed their mind and went to another place to buy those buy those products. Some of the things I love hearing from you and your team is some of those fun anecdotes about. What are buying nuances in different countries around the world that people don't think about? Can you just share a couple that you think are particularly interesting? Yeah, there's 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 many, right? Every country has some sort of some sort of nuance. Us in in the U.S., right? We love to use our credit cards when we're making purchases online, and so most of the innovation is around how do you make it easier to accept that credit card? Things like Apple Pay and Google Pay, they they are still using your credit card as the main source for payment. It's just making it an easy way to do that. 
other countries, you know, credit cards are not as, as prevalent. So in Japan, customers like to go down to their local convenience store and make purchases for their milk and pay for their e-commerce purchases at the same time. Um, in in com- countries like Germany and the Netherlands, cu- customers typically aren't using their credit card. They're using their online bank. So the same payment methods they use to pay their utility bills, they like to use to make sure they're making their online payments. They feel trusted into that experience. And that's ultimately what us as e-commerce merchants want to make sure that, that we do, that the customer has a seamless, trusted experience while they're, while they're purchasing. So what are the what are the methods that a you know merchant can take in order to make sure that they're you know optimizing for their billing and they're offering the right payment methods and that that's all handled for them? A um, lot of different paths to that, right? There's there's plenty of companies out there that will offer solutions to selling online and to offering payment methods. You as a, as a merchant need to make decisions on, am I going to invest in things like local entities to be able to support payment methods that require those lo- that local footprint? Um, or you can partner with companies like Digital River who will do that work for you and take all the payment and risk responsibilities off of, off of you. We talk about the onshore advantage as, as one of the main things that, that we offer to our client base and that allows our clients to have a single relationship with Digital River and Digital River takes care of all those global complexities of, of selling online, whether it's a new payment method, a different currency, new regulations, or even things like new invoicing requirements on how you report to the government that you've made a purchase. Another thing that you touched on uh, was, you know, the, the changing nature of data privacy in PSD2. So how, how is that changing the commerce landscape as you think about global commerce and, and what should brands be on the lookout for uh, in order to make sure that they're you know, being compliant with all of these new regulations. Yeah, and the new regulations are are there basically to protect consumers. As more and more fraudsters start to attack online shopping experiences, new regulations are in place to help protect that. So the PSD2 regulations that we talked about are really put in place to ensure that when a shopper is shopping online, they feel safe and comfortable with with that experience. Um, From a merchant perspective, our biggest challenge is how do we make something safe but also make it um, seamless, right? So I don't want to put too much um, rigor into the experience that a customer can never make a purchase, but I have to have enough so that the customer feels safe and that we're able to know who that customer is when they're shopping. So things like, again, we talked a little bit about Apple Pay being making a, a more seamless experience. That's also a safer experience because a customer knows Apple, they've interacted with Apple, and they now feel trusted when they're using their Apple device to make a payment for something online. Similarly, again, in Europe, customers, when they log on to their online banking portals, they're asked for two-factor authentication during that experience, meaning that they're going to get a text message with a one-time password when they're, when they're logging in. We're starting to see that more and more in the U.S. as well. Bringing that into the online shopping experience seems like a natural next phase for, um, for consumers so that they use that same experience while they're shopping to basically give that second factor 
of authentication to the merchant so the merchant knows that it is that customer that's making that purchase and that they own that that payment device yeah and it seems like you know like you said you know consumers are becoming more and more used to seeing that and and it's less and less disruptive and more uh just a part of the process so that's i i personally think it's a win for e-commerce overall to make it more secure more trustworthy um, it might feel like a little extra step until you get used to it, but then it, it just becomes a part of your normal buying experience. Right. The biggest challenge really is making sure that all the players in the ecosystem from the merchant to the consumer to the bank to all the intermediaries that are touching a transaction are all in line with that process to make sure that there isn't any hiccups or issues that will stop the consumer from buying that good that they want to purchase. Businesses are moving more and more to a subscription model. Um, this presents a, a challenge of churn. So what can um, merchants do to pay attention here? And, and what should they be putting into place in order to reduce the amount of churn? Uh, and maybe we should start with just a quick definition of, of what types of churn are out there and, and how we think about it. Yeah, one of, one of my favorite topics, right? It's fun to fun as a payments geek to really geek out on, on subscriptions and how you how you optimize that experience. So if you think about a consumer or a merchant selling a consumer a product on some sort of recurring billing model, whether that's a monthly subscription for your cable bill or an annual subscription for your antivirus software, all these models, the customer is making a purchase and then the merchant is trying to continually bill that customer on the agreed cycle so that the customer doesn't have any impact to the service that, they, that they've purchased. Ultimately, there is a percentage of customers that are going to what we call in the industry churn or cancel their, their service. Um, we did a study with Forrester a couple of years ago that showed that 34% of customers ultimately churn out of their out of their subscription at some time. So the merchant is then having to spend a lot of dollars to refill that pipeline. We as payment professionals think long and hard about how do we minimize that churn. There's really two different types of churn when we when you think about it. There's what we would call voluntary churn. In that case, the customer is actually making a decision to cancel their subscription. I have a cable subscription. I'm going to cancel that because I'm cutting the cord and moving to a streaming service, or I'm going to cancel that because I'm moving physically to a new location and, and I need to cancel that service. That's considered a voluntary churn. And there's things that you can do around marketing to those consumers to keep them in place. Um, but ultimately, it's a consumer choice. The one that we really focus on is involuntary churn. In this scenario, the customer hasn't said to anybody, I want to cancel my subscription. And instead, what they are saying is, continue billing me, I want my service, but for some reason, we're not able to bill that customer. So things like having a card on file that is expired or that was part of a previous breach and has now been reissued as a different card, those are things that ultimately impact the consumer's ability to keep their subscriptions going because the merchant is unable to bill them. From a payments perspective, this is an area that we tackle with a lot of different tactics to try to ensure that we minimize that involuntary churn. So you, uh, you're using quite a bit of machine learning in order to tackle some of those involuntary churn um, 
challenges as well as other billing optimization. Can you give us any sort of insight into what machine learning is is helping with in the in the payment space? Yeah, I mean data data is king these days, and so um, ultimately, the more data you have, the better decisions that you can make. So we look at machine using machine learning to really make a business decision on how we're going to minimize that involuntary churn. So we look at all the data and we make a decision on, is now the right time for me to call to a Visa or MasterCard account updater service, for example, to get a new card on file? Visa and MasterCard offer these services that when they expire a card or when a card gets reissued, you have the ability as a merchant to call that service and get a new card. Really a cool service and and something that every merchant that is doing subscription should do. But to really optimize that, you need to bring in all the data that you have, have your you know data scientists, your machine learning models predict when the best time to make those calls is, and that's going to get you the most optimal solution from a from an account updater perspective. That sounds like a great solution, but are there any downsides to account updater? Yeah, I think I think uh, so. Account updater is one nice service to to leverage, but it also is has its limitations, right? So. Ultimately, it's not a global solution. Um, only certain issuers in certain markets are actually providing their card information into the account updater services. So we talked about global before being um, a big part in how every global solution has different scenarios. Account updater works great in the US, it works great in the UK. It doesn't work well in Germany because German issuers don't provide their information. So then you have to look at other mo- other options for how do you make sure that that customer is is gonna, gonna be able to continue to receive their product. Um, things like looking at how the expired um, card is handled by issuers. Digital River spends a lot of time working with card issuers to figure out do they reissue cards every three years, four years, five years. And we build that data into our models to then help us with what billing frequency and billing data we use to continue to bill those customers. Um, so pretty pretty cool cutting edge stuff that's, that's being done to really try to help our merchants improve ensure that they're keeping as many customers happy as they as they can. I'm always amazed with how much innovation is happening in the payments world. Yeah. I think it's really neat. It's constant. What are you looking ahead? What are you most excited about in the next, you know, year or two to come? Yeah, so there's a lot of buzz right now around around a couple of topics, network tokenization being one of the biggest ones. So we talked about account updater being a service that's only available in certain markets. The concept of network tokenizations is basically to replace account updater over time for the for the um, card issuers. Ultimately, they will the card issuer that is will hold a, a a digital version of the credit card in a secure location that nobody has access to. And when you have your physical card that you ultimately type into your um, subscription account to make a purchase, that's tied to that digital um, account in the back end. And ultimately, if you change, your card gets reissued for being expired or if it, if it is reissued because it was lost or stolen or what, what have you, that physical card number changes, but the digital card number doesn't change. So ultimately, that allows your 
merchants to continue to bill you using your payment mechanism. And in the back end, they're doing all the hard work to, to make sure that you're mapping transactions and still being able to bill those customers. I think this is going to be a big game changer in the market in total. And it's really going to be something that the subscription space really needs to embrace to, to make sure that we're continuing to optimize as we move forward. Eric, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for sitting down with me today and let's do this again soon. Let's do it, Natalie. I love the conversation. Thanks.